0: Well, hello again. Hello to everybody who is watching online. If we have not uh, met, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. So grateful to be with you today. If you have your Bibles, please grab them and turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. If you know anything about our church, you know that we love studying through books of the Bible. And uh, we just got done studying a little three-week series in Jonah Uh, What a fun book to study, Jonah. And now we're going to start a brand new series this week uh, called The Secrets of Joy. And it will be from the book of Philippians. I think you're going to absolutely love the book of Philippians. A couple of years ago, um, Katie and I, we were in North Carolina and we were visiting uh, her family up there and my family. And we went to church with her family at their church. And I saw someone that I knew from uh, our church in Charlotte. And they had actually, uh, they used to go to our young adult ministry that I led and now they lived in Charlotte. And have you ever like seen someone that you know, but it's from like another area? You're like, you're not supposed to be here. You're supposed to be in Florida. It's like if you are a kid and you see your teacher at the store, you're like, what, you go to the store? (laughs) And, and, And so I saw this guy and I started to talk to him. We reconnected. And then about a week later, he sent me a text, and he said, hey, I would love uh, to talk to you about something. Now, I'll be honest. When he sent me that text, immediately, the first thought that popped into my head was, this guy is going to tell me how much I meant to him. (laughs) Why why the laughter? (laughs) Is that so shocking that I could make a difference in someone's life? No. Uh, So... Unfortunately, that's not how it goes. Um, I called him up, and he started to kind of share something with me, and he said, hey, Brian, I remember when I used to go to the harbor, and um, I uh, started to talk to you, and uh, I kind of pour out my heart and share something really personal about me, and I could tell that you were very distracted, and you were kind of looking around and just clearly not interested in what I have to say. And That was honestly a good critique of, uh, what I did in that moment, I remembered that moment. And, and it really made me realize, man, I, I hurt this young man and I, 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 I caused him pain. Now, why do I tell you that story? Um, probably none of you are gonna come up and get prayer from me after service, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, I learned from that. I, I wanted to grow from that situation. But I thought, you know, in this moment, I was someone who, I was a leader at the church and I, and I hurt this kid. And then, and then I thought, you know, you know I, I've hurt people at church not intentionally, and, and I've also, I've been hurt by people at church, and I'm guessing if you've been around church at all, you could say the same thing, that there's been people that have hurt me, and that probably I have hurt somebody else, and, and you know, I, I shared this, this story, and, and that was something that I, I wish I had done much better in, but maybe even you're here today, and if you're honest, you're like, man, Brian, I've, I've been hurt far worse than that by someone at church. Well, I introduced this to you because today we're actually going to look at the the opposite of this. Because as we begin, Philippians, we're going to see a very beautiful and very personal side of the Apostle Paul. And we're really going to see his heart as a leader, his heart as a shepherd, his heart as a teacher. And we're going to see the heart of someone who is truly an amazing spiritual leader. Now, you guys know that I love sports, Um, There's a really interesting quote by a coach who coached in the NBA for a long time. His name is Rudy Tomjanovich, and he was the coach of the Houston Rockets in the 90s. They won back-to-back championships. If you're an Orlando Magic fan, uh, this is a painful memory for you because they did defeat the Magic. I'm sorry to bring this up. But uh, when he was interviewed after one of his championships, uh, he said this amazing quote. He said, Listen, there were doubters and non-believers along the way. But I have one message for those doubters. He said, don't ever underestimate the heart of a champion. Super inspirational quote. I love it. But but here's our big idea for today that I want us to think about. And it's on the screen. And it's this. Don't ever underestimate the heart of a shepherd. We're going to see Paul as this amazing shepherd today. And throughout Philippians, we're going to see God as our good shepherd. Now, maybe you're wondering, Brian, like, why are we talking about spiritual leaders? Why are we talking about shepherds? Maybe this is a better message for like a pastor's conference or something. Well, I want us to think about this for a minute. Um, because, you know, a shepherd, in its most basic definition, is someone that cares for sheep, that guides sheep, that protects sheep. But in a spiritual sense, in our Christian sense, a shepherd is someone that helps people grow closer to Jesus. And here's what I believe. If you're a Christian in here, God wants you to have the heart of a shepherd. Now listen, every Christian, we are sheep. We are followers of Jesus who is our good shepherd. But every Christian, God wants us to grow and mature to the place Where we, too, have the heart of a shepherd and where we, too, when we look around, we see, I see people that, man, I want to see them grow closer to Jesus. I want you to think for a moment about the people in your life. I know that in this room, there are pastors at our church. There are elders at our church. There are small group leaders, kids teachers, youth leaders in this room. You have a responsibility for the people at this church to help them grow. I know that there are parents, step-parents, foster parents, grandparents in here. God has given you a responsibility to have the heart of a shepherd to help your kiddos and grandkids grow. Shout out to all of our amazing teachers all across the county. You are a shepherd of your classroom. And, And even for many of us, God has put a burden on our heart for something. I was talking to a young adult a couple of weeks ago, and he has an amazing family. Uh, He grew up in our youth group. Uh, He uh, serves, and he's in our young adult ministry now. And he said, listen, I have a burden on my heart for a group of people that I see suffering and that I see struggling, and I want to help them. That's the heart of a shepherd. And God wants us to have the heart of a shepherd as well. I love this portion of our church's mission statement, if you want to look on the screen, it says this, we exist to glorify God by being a loving community. Now, I want you to think about this and imagine if we all as a church embodied this message to say, we want to have the heart of a shepherd, when people walked in, they would feel loved, they would feel encouraged, they would feel supported, and they would have a group of people around them helping them to walk in their relationship with God. So we're going to see today the heart of a shepherd, but we're going to be praying today, God, help me to have the heart of a shepherd. So let's dive in. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. You guys ready? Okay, sounds good. I'm glad to hear it. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. And by the way, as we walk through our time this morning, I'm going to give you a little bit of background, why this book is in the Bible, and I think you're going to really enjoy it as we discover a little bit of what Philippians is all about. But Philippians 1, verse 1, it says this Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ. We're going to come back to that word servant in just a moment. To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. The reason it's called Philippians is because it was to a city or a church in the city of Philippi. I'll tell you where that is in a moment. And together with the overseers and deacons, it says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So notice a couple things about this intro. First off, we notice that Paul wrote this letter, and shout out, Timothy got a co-author on this letter. Now listen, as we go through it, as myself and the other pastors go through it, I'm probably just always going to say Paul wrote this letter, just because I'm not going to say Paul and Timothy every single time. But just so you know, they together co-authored this letter. But I want you to notice that they actually describe themselves as servants of Christ. Now, The Apostle Paul, he wrote many different letters to a lot of different churches all over the Roman Empire. And uh, some of the letters he wrote were letters to churches that he had actually never visited before. And the letters were almost introductions to uh, them. And so uh, some of the letters he wrote, they were very corrective in nature. If you guys have been with us and you remember uh, when we studied through the book of Galatians, in Galatians, Paul is kind of giving this stern correction. You foolish Galatians, what's wrong with you? That's a paraphrase, but that's kind of the heart of it. And interestingly enough, a lot of times when Paul writes these letters, uh, he refers to himself as an apostle. Now that is a very powerful title. An apostle means, man, a church planter, a missionary that's been called by God. And so really when Paul is doing that, he's getting the, his readers to think this man has authority from God. There's a level of respect and awe that comes with it. Uh, may, maybe a good example of this. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I kind of had the bittersweet privilege of officiating a, a memorial service uh, for a family member that, that was very close. And I had a lot of extended family there. And while I was officiating it, you know, I looked out and I recognized, you know, there's a lot of people here that haven't seen me since I'm like 12 years old. And um, so while that was happening, uh, the the person who kind of introduced me, they said, this is Brian. Um, He is a a pastor at Calvary Chapel of Melbourne. He's a campus pastor. He's a teaching pastor. Here's kind of his his resume. And part of the reason I wanted that to happen is because I wanted people who had seen me when I was a 12-year-old to be like, hey, Like, God's done some stuff in his life. He's had some training. He's been called by God. Does that make sense? When I come here, I don't have, like, a herald get up and be, like, introducing our pastor, our apostle, our bishop, right? Like, I don't give all these titles. Why is that? Like, we are family. And so I get up and I say, hey, my name's Brian. Like, let's dive in. Let's study the Bible together. Because there's a personal connection with us. Because we go to the same church together. We're brothers and sisters. We are family. And so when we see Paul writing and he says, hey, I'm Paul, I'm a servant of Christ, he's putting himself on their level. And we're going to see that the book of Philippians is a book that is truly a book of connection. It's a book of familiarity. It's a book of family, a book of love. And we're going to continue to see that as we study. Look with me at verse 3. He says this, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for you all excuse me in my and all my prayers for you i always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now so once again we see paul's love we see his passion for this church at philippi and notice what he says he says i always thank god when i remember you so paul is thinking back to the first moment when he met the Philippian church. And I kind of like to think about it like this. Um, Paul is almost having like this flashback moment. You guys know like in TV shows, and I feel like it's kind of like older TV shows sometimes, like the character has a flashback and the scene goes all wavy and there's kind of like a a cheesy sound that plays. Kind of sounds like this. You guys tracking with me? So I feel like Paul is having this Flashback moments where he remembers the time when he met the Philippian church. And guess what? We actually have a record of that. The story of how the Philippian church came to be happens in Acts chapter 16. Now, you're welcome to turn there. I'm going to kind of summarize it because it's like 50 verses. But I would encourage you, check out Acts 16 this week. Study it a little bit because there's some beautiful, beautiful moments. But here's kind of the story. Um, Paul is traveling in Acts 16 with uh, three different traveling companions, Silas, Timothy, and then Luke. Luke wrote the book of Acts. And Paul has all sorts of plans for where he wants to go to preach the gospel. But every time he tries to go somewhere, God stops him. Uh, He says, "I, I tried to go here, and I tried to go here, and God kept stopping me. And so he literally gets to this moment where he is at a dead end. He has no idea where to go next. And if you know anything about Paul, Paul is this guy who is like, doesn't like to sit still. So this must have been driving him crazy. But then God intervenes and God gives him a new direction. And we read about this in verse 9 of Acts chapter 16 on the screen. And it says this, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing up and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. I'll tell you where Macedonia is in a map in just a moment. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so here's here's kind of the summary. Paul keeps hitting these dead ends. He keeps hitting this frustration. But then all of a sudden, what we see is that God steps in and God intervenes. And God says, hey, I have another plan for you. And God sends him to Macedonia, and one of the cities of Macedonia is Philippi. Now, here's a map on the screen, and what we see is this is kind of a map of a pretty large area. If you look up on the top left, we see the famous boot of Italy and Europe. Uh, Down at the bottom here, we see the northern part of Africa. Over on the bottom right, we see Saudi Arabia and Israel and kind of the Middle East. And then if you see over there that red line, Where it starts is where Paul was before he went to Macedonia. And then that little flag over the O, that is the city of Philippi. Now, here's what's significant about this. That obviously God interrupted and God intervened. But Macedonia is actually modern-day Greece. And so the city of Philippi, it was a Roman colony There was a lot of wealth there, there was a lot of influence and power, but Philippi is in modern day Greece, and so here's what's important for us. This is the first time that the gospel has left Asia, and that the gospel goes to a brand new continent of Europe. And so I think this is a really powerful, really beautiful thing, and I love what Joe Saxton says. She is a writer and teacher. She said, after God gave him a dream, Paul changed his direction And God began to change the spiritual direction of an entire continent. Isn't that amazing that Paul had aspirations to go to cities, had aspirations to go to different countries, but he kept hitting dead ends. And God said, listen, I'm not sending you to a different country. I'm sending you to a a different continent. And so if you're here and maybe you feel like you're hitting dead ends, you feel like you're discouraged, you feel like you're uncertain, I just want to encourage you that if you're a follower of Jesus, God has his hand on your life. And God in Paul's life is working for Paul's good and for his glory. And it's the same for you as well. Now let's keep studying and thinking about this story. So Paul gets to Philippi. And during his time in Philippi, we are introduced to uh, three different people who meet Jesus in a powerful way. The first is a woman named Lydia. Everybody say Lydia. Okay, just checking to see if we're still, we're still together. Um, so Lydia, uh, she is a wealthy and rich businesswoman. She's very successful, and her and her entire household get saved. Then in just a few moments, the Apostle Paul, uh, he uh, meets this, this woman who is a slave girl. And she is a demon-possessed slave girl. And the demon actually gives her the power to predict the future and tell people things. And so her owners are actually profiting greatly off of this suffering that she is experiencing and off of this power that she's experiencing. And so Paul, through the power of Jesus Christ, casts the demon out of her. But that's great for her, and we believe that she ends up getting saved. But now her owners are very unhappy Because now they have lost their source of income. And so they go to the leaders of the community, and they get Paul and Silas thrown in prison. Now, this is kind of an interesting recap of all I just told you. Look on the screen. N.T. Wright, who's a theologian, he says, Paul's exorcism of the girl, which was initially a religious problem, quickly translated into loss of income, an economic problem. This was turned vengefully into the accusation that Paul and Silas were Jews, an ethnic problem who were teaching customs that it would be illegal for Romans to practice a political problem. So what we see is when the gospel comes in, it is a very powerful thing And it affects a lot of different areas. So Paul and Silas, they end up in jail. And this is a very famous part of the story. Probably many of us have heard it. They're in jail and they're singing praises to God. And God sends an earthquake that shatters the jail cell. The doors burst open, chains fall off. And the jailer, who's responsible to keep everyone in the jail, he comes out, he sees all this happen, and he is about to take his own life. Because at the time, if you were a jailer and you let all your Uh, prisoners escape, you would have to have the death penalty. And so he said, better me do it myself. But Paul cries out to him. He says, no, we're all still here. Don't take your life. And Paul preaches the gospel to him and he gets saved. And so we see this powerful and very unorthodox story of how this group of people ended up getting saved and ended up starting the church at Philippi. Imagine this rich, wealthy businesswoman in her home, this Philippian jailer. He was probably a tough, rough Roman soldier on his second career. And then this slave girl. This is a very strange small group, isn't it? And this is how the Philippian church starts. And when Paul says, I thank God when I remember you, this is what he's thinking. And he writes a word of encouragement to them that is the letter of Philippians. And here's what we're gonna discover as we study Philippians. There's a lot of verses in Philippians that are just powerful and beautiful. You guys know some of those Bible verses that are just like, oh man, these are my verses. And, And this is one of them we're about to read. Paul remembering them, praying for them. And he says this in verse six, look with me. He says, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul remembers. He's like, I was there when the work started, and I remember what God did, but here's what I'm confident of. He's going to carry it to completion. I love what it says in Philippians chapter 1 in the NLT. He says, I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ returns. See, I love this because this verse does not say God began a good work in you and he has a long to-do list and he's expecting you to finish it on your own. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, hey, God started the work and he's pretty disappointed with your progress. Like he showed up back at the job site and he's like, this is all you've done? Are you serious? But I think sometimes that's how we view God. But, but what Paul says is, listen, I remember that God started a work in your life. And here's what I'm confident of. Not that you have to finish it on your own, but that God, when he started it, he's going to carry it to completion. God is committed to you. God is committed to working in your life. And he is, in fact, more committed to us than we are to him. Remember, we've been talking today about this idea of having the heart of a shepherd, And I want you to write this down. This is kind of the first point that we're going to be talking about today. We can't be good shepherds without knowing the good shepherd. You know, some of us maybe were thinking about this idea, man, how can I help others follow Jesus? But we need to realize that before we help others follow Jesus, we have to know and understand that God is our good shepherd. And we see in the story of the starting of the church at Philippi, God was present even when it didn't seem like it. Paul didn't expect to run into the dead ends. Paul never expected to go to Philippi. Lydia, the slave girl, the jailer, they never expected to encounter the power and the love of Christ. And none of this stuff was supposed to happen, but God knew that it was going to happen, and God had his hand on all of it. And we have to realize that as well, that in our lives, even in the uncertainty, even in the confusion, God has his hand on it. You know, when when we hear the word good shepherd, I think a lot of us think of one of the most famous passages in the Bible. Even if you're not a Christian, chances are you've heard of Psalm 23. And in Psalm 23, we discover about the good shepherd, and it says this in verse 1, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Notice what he does, he Makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And what we see here is that God is our shepherd and He knows there are times when we need rest and we need spiritual nourishment and we need to be refreshed. And God knows how to, in the moment of need, bring us to a place where we feel refilled and renewed. I think often. For us as Christians, this happens at church. This is one of the reasons we come to church. So that as we worship, as we are filled with God's word, as we connect with other people, God renews and refreshes us so we can continue the journey. But notice that God doesn't just do this. In verse 4, we see this, that our good shepherd also, it says this, that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We read, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So in this verse, what we're seeing is that even in the difficult times, even in the trials, even when the circumstances are going horrible and everything is falling apart, and when it feels like you're completely alone, God has not left you alone that God is with you, that he is walking by your side. Now now here's what I know. I know that probably 99% of the people in this room have heard this passage before, and, and all I just said is probably a refresher to a lot of people. But I just believe that sometimes we need reminders. And I believe that maybe for you today, you walked in here to remember that just like in Philippi, God was working for his good and for 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 your good and for his glory, it's the same thing in your life. That right now, in the uncertainty, God is working. Trust the good shepherd. Now let's keep reading. Paul is going to continue to write this word of encouragement. And he says this in verse 7. He says, It's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, All of you share in God's grace with me. So once again, he's talking about this partnership that he has a love for this people. And notice he mentions in chains. Uh, Over the next week, we're going to discover more about this, that the Apostle Paul is actually writing this from a Roman prison, and he is chained up uh, in Rome at this time, but he's writing this letter of love to Philippi. And he says in verse 8, God can testify how I long for all of you. With the affection of Jesus Christ. I want us to think about verse six one more time. Paul says that God began a good work in you and he will bring it to completion. So the question is what does it mean that God began a good work in you? Well, what that means is that God saves every single one of us that's a Christian. If you're here, and you're a follower of Jesus, you are a follower of Jesus because God started that work. Salvation is of the Lord. And when we put our faith in Jesus, God saves us of our sins. He forgives us. He takes away all of our guilt and shame, and he invites us into a relationship with him. And that's a big, big deal. You know, so often I think, we can kind of take salvation for granted. Oh, yeah, I'm glad I'm saved. I'm kind of on to other things. Now we got to realize salvation's a miracle. God began a good work in us. So, what does it mean that He's going to bring it to completion? Well, it means that God, when He looks at us, He says, I know that there's some work that still needs to be done. I still have some things that I want to do in your life. And as we wrap up our passage today, we're going to see in verse 9, this is some of the work that God wants to do. Paul writing and he prays, look in verse 9, he says this, he says, This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to The glory and praise of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, I think as we look at these three verses, I think we can discover three things that God wants to do in our lives as He completes the work that He started. And up on the screen, God completes His work in us by first off increasing our love. Increasing our love. Paul says, I'm praying that your love will abound more and more. What does that mean that God wants to increase our love? Well, God wants us to be better and grow in seeing others the way He sees them, serving others the way He wants to serve them, speaking to others the way He speaks to them, treating others the way He he treats them. That our love would be like the love of Christ. And uh, in Philippians chapter two, Paul's gonna deep dive on that concept. What does it mean to love the way Christ loves? So we want to increase in our love. Secondly, we want to increase in our discernment. And I love this. Paul says, I want your love to abound, but I also want your knowledge and discernment to abound. And here's the way I would put this. I think sometimes we're afraid that if we just love people and we're just kind to people and we're just nice to people, that we're just going to be kind of these like people that are always really nice but always getting taken advantage of. You know, like, oh, I don't, uh, if I'm just kind and nice and just always cool, like, I'm just going to get the wool pulled over my eyes sometimes. And, and what Paul's saying is, I don't want that. I want you to have a heart of love, but I want you to have a mind of wisdom and discernment. I want you to be able to understand what's right and what's wrong. And I want you to look at everybody and see them with love, but I also want you to be able to understand there's truth and there's lies. There's right and there's wrong. There's, there, there are these things that we need to know as followers of Christ. Uh, Jesus said this, that we should be as, as innocent as doves, but as wise as serpents. And so that's what Paul is saying. That's what maturity looks like. And finally, it comes around to saying this forming our character to look like Jesus. So, this is what Paul wants, or God wants to do as he uh, completes the work that's in us. Now, we can look at these things on the screen, and maybe you're looking at them, and that's just kind of like a list for you, and you're thinking, Brian, like, what does this have to do with me? Why does this matter? Well, today, all we've been talking about is having the heart of a shepherd. But but here's what I want us to realize. Before we can serve anyone else, before we can lead anyone else, we also have to be moving towards Christ ourselves. All of us in here have parents. Many of us in here have kids and have grandkids. And, And think for a moment, the way that, your parents led you affects you for good or for bad. The way that you as a parent or I as a parent uh, lead my kids shapes them and forms them. And it's the same with our spiritual leaders. God doesn't just want people who are just yelling and telling others what to do. He wants people who have the heart of a shepherd to say, I'm growing in my relationship with God. And I want to come along you as you grow in your relationship with God. I've I've heard this expression before. You you can't lead somebody to a place you've never been. Now, now I I actually kind of disagree with that statement. You can lead someone to a place you've never been. I, uh, a few years ago, had never been to Jamaica, and I led a missions team to Jamaica. It was the first time I went, and I led a team. I brought everybody back safely except for one. It was great. No, I'm just kidding. I got everybody back. Don't <laughs> worry. Don't worry. We're good. We're still looking for him. No, I'm just kidding. We found him. We found him. Um, no, so I, I led someone to a place that I had never been. But listen, you can't lead someone to a place that you're not willing to go yourself. Uh, right now, um, uh, my, my uh, uh, parents-in-law, um, they're on kind of a retirement trip of a lifetime. And uh, they booked this retirement trip through a travel agent. Now, uh, they're very glad about this. The travel agent did not go with them. That would be weird. Like, I paid for the trip. Why are you in my hotel room? That's odd. But, but that's okay. I'm, I'm glad travel agents don't go with us. But we don't need any spiritual travel agents. We don't need any people saying, hey, I'm not willing to follow Jesus and go on the journey myself. I'm just telling you what to do. And so, if we have the heart of a shepherd, what that means is we must say, God, I'm committed to growing. I'm committed to following Jesus. And as I do that, I want to help other people as well. And you can write this down if you want. Uh, As we grow, or as God helps us grow, he uses us to help others grow. So, we want to be people. We're not travel agents just telling people where to go. We're saying, I'm going on the journey, and I want you to come as well. Now, we're done with our text for today. And as we close, I was praying because I know that there was a lot of uh, background information and a lot of kind of like setup in this message. And so I just prayed and I said, God, like what, what do you want to, to show us to re- that we can really apply to our lives as, as we finish today? And I want to share three things very quickly. The, the first thing that I want you to know from this message is this, that I want you to know that we love you. I want you to know that we love you. Paul is writing this letter, and he's pouring out his love to the Philippians, and we have elders at our church. We have pastors at our church. We have an amazing staff, men and women at our church, and and I can, um, I work with these people, and I serve with these people, and I can honestly tell you, like our pastors, our elders, our staff, our team, that we love you, that we pray for you. I want you to know I love you, and I pray for you, and I'm not going to be a a perfect pastor, I'm going to fail. But I do just want you to know, just like Paul loved the Philippians, that we love you. That's the first thing. The second thing I want us to know and I want us to apply is this, that if you want to be a good shepherd, pray like a shepherd. Or Earlier in the message, I challenged us and I, I had us think like that God has called us to be shepherds in all of these different areas. So some of us, we're, we're called to be a shepherd of two kids or one kid. Some of us, we have influence in our businesses. Some of us, God is calling us to step into leadership here at the church. And maybe you're over two people, maybe you're over a thousand people. But my challenge to you is one of the best ways that you can lead and be a Christian shepherd is to pray like a shepherd. I want you to think about the people in your life, whether it's your son and daughter, your stepson and stepdaughter, or a whole congregation, I want you to think about those people, and I want to challenge you to pray for them this week. And if you look at verses 9 through 11 of Philippians chapter 1, we just read it, we see how Paul prayed for his people. I want to challenge you to read those verses and pray the scripture over the the people that God has placed in your life. Um, Oftentimes when I pray, I pray for Katie, I pray for my boys, I pray for my small group, I pray for our church, and I pray those words in 9 through 11. Because it's a beautiful prayer and it's the heart of a shepherd. So that's number two. And then the third thing I want us to do as we close is this. As you join a group today, pray about leading a group someday. Now I want you to notice I kind of put a shameless plug in there. I didn't say if you join a group today. Because everybody in our church is joining a small group, right? So I'm just assuming it's happening as you join a group. But here's what I know, that right now, you know, our church is growing. And one of the things that we need as our church grows is we're going to need more people leading small groups. Now, our our small group semester starts in like one week. Uh, We, we, uh, I think we've organized things well enough that we don't need any small group leaders in a week. But in January 2024... In June 2024, in September 2024, if God uh, doesn't return, if Jesus doesn't return in January of 2025, God's going to keep saving people. God's going to keep doing a work, and we need more people to help have the heart of a shepherd and lead groups. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to be perfect, but you do have to say, I'm following Jesus, and I want to help others follow Jesus. And so I want you to pray, and maybe as this message has been happening, God's been putting something on your heart. We're not going to throw you out there and just say, figure it out. We're going to train you. We have a process. We have a a way we do things to encourage and equip you. But maybe that's you. I just want to plant that seed to say, maybe God is calling some of us today to do this. All right, so we have reached the end of our teaching today. But I do want to speak for one moment to those who are here that don't yet know Jesus. Or maybe you're hearing you walked away from God. It says God began a good work in you, and he's going to bring it to completion. But for some of us, God has not yet begun that work in us. So so how does God begin the work? Well, it happens when we understand how much God loves us. And when we understand that our sin separates us from God and that we can never cross that barrier on our own but we must realize that that God himself loves us so much that he did something about it and that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that our sins could be forgiven, so that the the, the wrath of God could be satisfied and so that we could actually draw near to God and begin a relationship with him. And so I wanna invite everybody here right now to please bow your heads and close your eyes. At every service this weekend so far, God has begun a new work in people. God has saved people, and I believe today is no different. And so if you are here and you would say, I'm not yet a Christian, or I have walked away from God, and today I want to rededicate my life, I want to ask you right now to please raise your hand in the air. Awesome. Thank you so much. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you. This is you and maybe right now, your heart's racing or you're feeling like God is just doing something and the best way to respond is just to raise your hand right now and to say, yes, God, I want you to begin a new work in me. Anybody else? Up in the balcony, anybody? Okay. So for those who raise their hands and praise God, we're so happy and we're celebrating you guys right now. What I want you to do is I want you to just pray this prayer. Just say, dear God, you can pray it in your heart. You can pray it quietly, but pray it to God and say, dear God, I know that I have walked away from you, but I know you love me. I could never do anything to save myself, but Jesus did everything to save me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you that I am now a new creation. Help me to follow you. Help me to meet people that are going to help me on this journey. Please complete the work that you started today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. Now I want to speak to those who raise their hands. Uh, following Jesus is not a moment, it's a journey. God wants to complete the work he started in this moment, but we have to walk the steps. We have to walk alongside of him. And so the first step that you can take is after, after our service today, there's gonna be a prayer team down front. And I wanna invite you to come down after this service and pray with them or pray with myself because uh, we want to, to tell you how to take that next step in following Jesus. Now, we have a few moments left in our service, so I want to invite you to stand to your feet right now. Uh, today, we're going to celebrate communion together. And whenever we celebrate communion, what we do is we take a moment and we reflect on our lives. We look inwardly. And we ask the question, is there anything in my life that is a sin, anything that's separating me from God? And we take a moment and we just confess that to God. 1 John one nine says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So if there's anything between you and God, you just confess it during this song, and then we can celebrate and take communion together. So let's sing, let's examine, let's pray, and we'll celebrate communion together in just a moment. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from As you walked in, you were given a communion cup. I wanna say that for those of us who are here who are followers of Jesus, even if you're just visiting and you don't call Calvary Chapel home, we do practice open communion, which means any follower of Jesus can partake. But I do wanna encourage you, if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, um, this moment is not for you. So you can just let it pass you by. No one's gonna judge you. We're so glad you're here, but uh, this moment of communion is especially for those who are followers of Jesus. Um, You can open uh, the, the portion with the bread. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I think. It's 1 Corinthians for sure. That the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had broken it, he gave thanks and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take this in remembrance of me. So whenever we take the bread, we remember that Jesus's body was broken for us. We remember that he was beaten, that he was hung on a cross, that he was tortured, and that God actually took all of our sin and placed it upon him. And we remember that and when we take it, we celebrate and we thank Jesus for what he has done. So Jesus, we thank you. We'll never know how much it costs to see our sin upon that cross. God, we celebrate you. We're grateful for you. And we're grateful that Jesus, that you are willing to literally have your body be broken for us. And we remember it as we take this bread together. Let's take the bread. You can open the cup now. We read that after supper, Jesus took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now we sang and the song had the word blood in it. Even this has a, an allusion to blood. And maybe that seems like a weird thing. But, but we read in scripture without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. When we think about Jesus's sacrifice, we see God's love, but we are also reminded of the seriousness of sin. We're reminded that sin separates us from God and that in order for that sin to be forgiven, someone has to die. But Jesus was willing to shed his blood for us so that we could have a relationship with God. In the new covenant, the new covenant says that God is committed to us, that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. So God, we're thankful for you. We are thankful for the gift of your blood shed for us. And as we drink the cup, we remember that you're committed to us, that you love us, that you're gonna walk us towards the journey that you have for us. Let's take the cup together. As often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death and tell his coming. I want to thank you guys for being here today. A couple things as we close. First off, we're going to have a prayer team down front. We believe in the power of prayer here. And so if there's anybody here that needs prayer for any reason at all, please come down. But especially for those of you guys who did raise your hand, please come down because we would love to meet you and pray for you and tell you, some next steps in following Jesus. As you're going, um, we have offering boxes in the back. If you want to bring your tithes, vest your offerings there, you can, but also you can give online. And the last thing is this, for those who are new or who are uh, just wanting to get connected out in our commons, we have a connect circle. There's some people out there that would love to greet you and would love to tell you all about our church. Now, as we close, I just want to read the words of the Apostle Paul over us one more time. I love what they say. This is his prayer. He says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of God. Amen. Amen. We love you. God bless you. Go sign up for a group at the table in the comments and we will see you next time. Have a great week.